Greetings. We're so glad that you're joining with us today for our readings in the One Year Bible. It's February 23rd, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide. My name is David McAdam, and I serve as pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, here in the United States. It is a joy to be sharing the journey with you. As your tour guide, I want to encourage you to put on your sunglasses, that is your S-O-N glasses, as we read through the book of Leviticus, because the specifications for holiness radiate the beauty of the person and work of God's Son, the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. I want to encourage you to hang in there and not gloss over the many details that may sound boring. Today, as we read about the ceremony of the cleansed leper, we will see how it prefigures the joy of someone who is cleansed from the debilitating, isolating, fatal disease of sin and sets them apart for fellowship through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures highlight the danger of bodily-destroying infections such as leprosy and house-destroying corruptions such as mildew. These ancient instructions can be appreciated in the light of today's global pandemics and efforts to stop the spread. However, as we are learning, there is a corruption within the human heart and the human community, the consequences of which are far more severe. So let's pick up our Old Testament reading in Leviticus chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds, and cedarwood, and scarlet yarn, and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedarwood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop, and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean." and after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah, of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering, along with the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord." And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering, in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, 
and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering to be waved, to make atonement for him, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and a log of oil. Also two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. The one shall be a sin offering, and the other a burnt offering. And on the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest, to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand, and shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, in the place where the blood of the guilt offering was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed, to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer of the turtle doves, or pigeons, whichever he can afford, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, along with a grain offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is being cleansed. This is the law for him in whom is a case of leprous disease, who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. Laws for Cleansing Houses Verse 33 The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, There seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward the priest shall go in to see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look, if the disease has spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around, 
and the plaster that they scrape off they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house, after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until the evening, and whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop, and shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water, and shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird, and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed, and in the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and with the fresh water, and with the live bird, and with the cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn. And he shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country. So he shall make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot, to show when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law for leprous disease. So just think about what a happy day it would be to be cleansed from your leprosy. It reminds me of the song, Oh, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. The law of the leper in the day of his cleansing is the subject of Leviticus chapter 14. The leper's hope in Leviticus 14 is called the day of his cleansing. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. There are two ceremonies that ratify the cleansing of the leper. One takes place outside the camp, in verses 2-9, to and the other in front of the tent of meeting, eight days later, in verses 10-32. to Notice the parallels. The priest goes outside the camp. This is a picture of Jesus going outside the camp to be identified with those condemned under the law and numbered among the transgressors. There, outside the camp, he was crucified. The priest goes where the leper resides. The leper cannot go to the tent of meeting. So, the priest, that is Christ, comes to meet us where we are outside the camp. His love compels us to go the distance. The priest leads the leper to a source of fresh living water. The priest takes two live birds, considered clean according to the law of Moses. One of the birds is to be killed over an earthenware vessel with its blood mixing with the fresh water. The priest would take the live bird and dip it in the vessel with the hyssop, cedar wood, and scarlet yarn. Hyssop was the plant used for applying the blood of the Passover lamb to the posts and lintels of the Israelite homes in the final plague when the angel of death came to strike the firstborn son of any home in Egypt that did not have that protection. In Exodus 12:22. 
When Solomon spoke wisely of all the vegetation of creation, he spoke of trees from the cedar to the hyssop. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 33, Scarlet speaks of both the obvious nature of sin in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, and the promise of salvation in Joshua 2, verse 18. Hyssop, cedarwood, and scarlet were put into the earthen vessel with the blood and water in a similar manner to when they were cast into the midst of the red heifer offering, which we will read about in Numbers chapter 19. It's a very significant one-of-a-kind offering. Such a mixture may also be what is called purifying water in Numbers chapter 8 verse 7. The priest sprinkles the mixture seven times on the leper who has been cleansed. The priest then pronounces him clean and lets the bird fly free in an open field. The cleansed man then washes and shaves and is restored to the camp, living outside his tent for seven days as a testimony. The two birds represent the two natures of Christ and the two aspects of His provision in the Atonement, His death for us and His life in us. Jesus was both God and man. Both birds are designated by the law as clean and holy. One bird was killed as a substitutionary sacrifice outside the camp, with the evidence of its shed blood being mingled with water in the earthen vessel. The bird had to be killed before the leper could be legally pronounced clean. The bird was killed at the command of God. It was in obedience that Jesus went to the cross. The bird was slain in an earthen vessel. This speaks of Jesus taking the earthen vessel of humanity for the purpose of suffering death. In Hebrews 2 verse 9 and Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. The bird was killed over living water, that is fresh water from a running stream in an earthen vessel. Jesus spoke of himself as being a source of living water. Let him who is thirsty come to him and drink, in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. When Jesus died, the apostle John witnessed water and blood coming from his side, in John 19, verse 34. Water is symbolic of eternal life, in John chapter 4, verse 14. The Word of God, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, and the Holy Spirit, in John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. Both the Word and the Spirit are living, in John chapter 6, verse 63, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and serve as pure witnesses to the death of Christ as our perfect substitute. The living bird would be marked with the stains of blood from the bird that was slain. The Lord Jesus rose from the dead and appeared with the marks of His death by crucifixion on His resurrection body, evident in his nail-pierced hands and his wounded side, in John chapter 20, verse 27. The living bird, once marked by death, is taken to an open field to fly free. So Jesus, having died for sin once and for all, is alive forevermore, free from the hold of death. In Romans 6, verse 7, He who has died is free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Once free, the bird took to the skies. So Jesus ascended into heaven, and we eagerly await for his return. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11. The blood of the slain bird was sprinkled on the leper seven times. The three-letter root of the Hebrew word for seven, sheva, 
is the same as the word that means enough, full, plenty, satiate, or satisfy. It is the number standing for perfection in the Bible. The blood was applied with hyssop, as was the blood of the Passover lamb, to the posts and lintels of the doors of the Israelite homes in Egypt as a provision to avert the judgment of the angel of death. The use of hyssop in the Bible is a consistent type meaning applying by faith in God's word. It signifies believing with your heart. After the personal appropriation by faith of what has been provided for the cleansing of the leper, the sprinkling of the water and the blood that testifies to the death and resurrection of the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, the person who was judicially reckoned dead, cut off, unclean, and unfit for fellowship, is legally pronounced clean. He has witnessed both the death and the liberation of a substitute. He has looked upon one who has died for him and rose alive. Now the cleansed man is given access to his family and can enter the camp. He lives outside his tent as a testimony to the fact that he has been cleansed. It is a sign of life that we who believe give testimony. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. In Romans 10.9 On the eighth day, the first day of a new week, signifying a new beginning, the cleansed person acknowledges he is a new creation by taking two male lambs without blemish, and a ewe lamb with a grain offering mixed with oil and a log of oil. He is going to provide for four of the five major offerings, the burnt offering, grain offering, sin, and trespass offering, in Leviticus chapters 1, 2, 4 through 5. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, the priest who cleanses him presents the man and his sacrifices before the Lord. Even though he has been cleansed, there is one who cleanses him, Christ who has cleansed us from sin, continues to keep us clean before the Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 One lamb is a guilt or trespass offering belonging to the priest. The blood of the guilt offering is put on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the big toe of the right foot of the cleansed leper. The priest then takes some of the oil and sprinkles it with his right finger before the Lord and then applies it to the right ear, the right hand, and the right toe over the blood that has just been freshly applied. The blood that cleanses us is the blood that purchased, redeemed, and ransomed us. It is because of the blood, that is, Jesus accomplishing the work of our redemption, that we can receive the anointing, the oil of the Holy Spirit. The priest is to make atonement by offering the sin offering, and then the burnt offering, and the grain offering. All five offerings are involved, and the leper shall be clean. In Leviticus chapter 14, verses 21 to 32, we have the description of a poor man's cleansing ritual, with a male lamb for a guilt offering to be waved, and its blood applied to the ear, thumb, and toe, with a smaller, rationed grain offering, oil, to be sprinkled seven times before the Lord and applied to the ear, thumb, and toe. For the sin and burnt offerings he can offer two turtle doves or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. The second part of our reading has to do with the treatment of contaminated houses. In centuries past, People have criticized the scrutiny demanded by the book of Leviticus for the transmission of health problems through garments and buildings. Today we know that Leviticus was right. The spread of mold and mildew impacts human health. Inspections of walls, ceilings, roofs, and garments are not to be discounted. Detection of mold, asbestos, lead, carbon monoxide, and radon is to be taken seriously. God is interested in every area of our lives. 
He's concerned with the health of our bodies, our homes, and our relationships. He's concerned with what we wear and how we live. He recognizes that as a people, we can easily be corrupted and spread corruption. Yesterday we learned about the ceremonial procedures for the detection and cleansing of infectious skin disease and polluted garments. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, expressed the need for Christians to be on guard with a regular inspection of their lives and of those around them. What can we do to save ourselves and our neighbors from potential disaster? Are we ready to take his recommended action to avert the sabotaging influence of inward and outward corruption? He admonishes believers to, quote, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh, in Jude chapter 1, verse 23. A house that is infected with disease needed to be cleansed or destroyed. Mold and mildew in a home can cause lung problems, nausea, sickness, and structural problems. Whatever in our lives that has been affected by the contamination of sin should be either cleansed or destroyed. Some old associations that have proven to be corrupting influences need to be inspected, and if they are not treatable, they need to be torn down altogether. Some relationships, old haunts, and old habits need to be utterly forsaken. The ways of the old nature need to come under the ban of the cross. A house that is found upon inspection as being free from malignancy is to be publicly declared clean in a similar ceremony to that which we observed for the cleansed leper. The priest is to take two birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop. One bird is to be slaughtered in an earthen vessel, a picture of Jesus killed in the earthen vessel of his body, its blood mingling with the running water. The live bird is to be dipped together with the scarlet thread and the cedar wood and hyssop, the redemptive thread linking the act to all creation from cedar wood to hyssop. The blood mixed with water is to be sprinkled on the house seven times. The live bird, marked with the stains of the other substitute's death, is to be set free outside the city to fly into an open field. What a wonderful picture of both the sinner and his house being pronounced clean through both the death and life of the substitute Redeemer. Now for our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 56. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. 
Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups, by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him, and ran about the whole region, and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces, and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Our New Testament reading in Mark chapter 6 begins with an invitation to his disciples that should not be refused, to come apart from the busyness of our heavily scheduled lives to spend time with him. Come apart before you come apart. The Lord is mindful of our need to rest, recharge, and be replenished physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope that each of you are developing a habit of setting aside some time each day, not just for reading the Word, but for feeding upon it. Be sure to spend quality time with Him so that you may abide in Him throughout the day. By reading through the Bible, you are getting a panorama of the story and meeting its hero on every page. We need to retreat to a secluded place where we can focus on the Lord of our days and participate in the communion He affords. Susanna Wesley, with at least ten children in the house, would seek a quiet time with the Lord despite the pressing distractions around her. Her sons, John and Charles, would grow up to be mighty instruments in the great awakening of the 18th century. They noted that if their mother could not find a room to retreat to, she would flip her apron over her head and create that interior seclusion where she could focus on speaking to the Lord in prayer and drawing wisdom and strength from Him. We've already observed this principle in the book of Leviticus. Moses and Aaron needed first to go inside the tent of meeting where they could hear from God, bless Him, and be blessed by Him before they came outside to minister to the people. They needed to enter into fellowship with the Lord before they could come out and bless the people with ministry. In Leviticus 9.23, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. In the Gospel of Mark, we see that the disciples did take Jesus' suggestion. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. 
However, it is doubtful that their time was as restful as they had hoped it would be. The crowds had soon caught up with them. Jesus sees the multitude as sheep without a shepherd, and filled with compassion, he begins to teach them many things. As the hour grew late, Jesus' disciples suggested that the crowd be sent away to get something for themselves to eat in the surrounding villages. Jesus responds by challenging the disciples to feed them themselves. At first, the disciples look to their insufficient financial resources. They only have 200 denarii in their treasury. That's equivalent to the pay of 200 days of labor. Then Jesus asks how many loaves they have. They look to the meager supply at hand, replying, Five loaves and two fish. Jesus commands them to sit in groups of hundreds and fifties. And then he takes the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven gives thanks. He breaks the loaves and the fish and as they distribute the food, it is multiplied to feed all. There were twelve baskets full of leftovers. Jesus is teaching them that he is the same person who fed their forefathers manna in the wilderness. We see this in John chapter 6. God multiplied miraculously and abundantly for those upon whom He had compassion. We see that He is able to supply more than what is adequate. This is illustrated also in the miracles witnessed by Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 16, Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 7, and verses 42 to 44, and the miraculous catches of fish for the disciples in Luke chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, and John chapter 21, verse 6 and 11. May this encourage us all to make our requests known to God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 to 21. The Sea of Galilee is subject to violent downdrafts and is known for its sudden windstorms. After the feeding of 5,000 men, plus women and children, Jesus departed to a mountainside to pray. The disciples were attempting to cross the Sea of Galilee and are caught in a storm, trying to reach the other side. Between 3 and 6 a.m., that is during the fourth watch, they see Jesus walking on water. Once again, the disciples are challenged as they see Jesus doing something that defies the natural order of things. They had been struggling all night to cross the sea, and Jesus having spent the bulk of his time in prayer, comes walking on the water. There is no striving, struggling, or running in his advance. He is not hindered by the adverse circumstances. He is Lord over the circumstances. The words that Jesus speaks to his terrified disciples should settle our hearts as well. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. In Mark 6, verse 50. It could read, Take courage. I am. Do not be afraid. The great I am is in the midst. Mark notes that it looks as if Jesus intended to pass by them in verse 48. The ESV Bible has a comment in the margin. The passage echoes the incident where Jesus passed before Moses. The same verb, parakomai, occurs in the Septuagint of Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, verse 22, and chapter 34, verse 6, giving a glimpse of his glory. But it also echoes Job chapter 9, where Job says that it is God who trampled the waves of the sea. The Septuagint has the Greek peripaton epithalases, meaning walking on the sea, using the same words as Mark chapter 6 verse 48, and then says, He passes by me in Job chapter 9 verse 11. 
there is an implicit claim to divinity in Jesus' actions. And now for our reading from the book of Psalms. Psalm 40 I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Psalm 40 is a messianic psalm. And in this psalm we have the prophecy that links the Old Testament sacrifices and offerings to their fulfillment in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 40, verse 6, Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. We know this is a messianic psalm because Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8 is quoted in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 5 to 9. We can read this psalm and get a sense of how life was sensed in Jesus' human nature. He identifies with our life experiences and embraces them with a perfect disposition of trust in the goodness of His Father. He knows what it is like to be delivered from the miry pit. In verse 2, He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. May the story of the psalmist encourage you. He brings you up. He causes you to stand. And he gives you a new song. What new deliverance can you be singing about today? Whereas verses 6 to 8 speak of Christ's faithfulness to his mission to fulfill righteousness on our behalf, verses 9 to 10 speak of his faithfulness to speak to his church today through the ministry of his word. How does he speak to you today? revealing the good news of His grace in the fellowship of His congregation. Now, from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 10, verses 11 through 12. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. What a contrast we have between the heart and mouth that is under the influence of the Holy Spirit and that which is not. Love heals, and that healing can be applied with careful use of words. Do our hearts and mouths minister healing, life, and forgiveness? Or do we express vengeance, bitterness, accusations, violence, or dissension? 
Let's pray. O Lord, you know our every need. You remember our frame. You know our limitations. You know we need rest. You know we need time with you. Thank you for this time of communion as we fellowship with your word and trust the Holy Spirit to illuminate your truth to our understanding. As we pursue holiness, we want to be more conscious of the danger of being contaminated by the sin and the corruption of the old Adamic nature. Teach us not to lean on our own understanding and our own resources when you call us to obedience. You are faithful. You are the one who multiplies the fish and loaves and provides for the needs of the multitudes. Help us to cooperate with you as you work your works today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much for sharing this time together. I know we covered a lot of material today, but I trust it has enriched your meditation. And if you have any questions or comments, you're welcome to contact us at podcast at newlife.org. Or if you'd like a written copy of our daily commentary, you can get it at our website, newlife.org, www.newlife.org. Thank you and have a great day. Shalom.